Welcome into this week's episode of the Asset Masters podcast. My name is Dave from Fluid Dynamics, and today I'm joined by Graham from Jandy. And uh, today we're talking about lighting. I'm really excited. This was a uh, um, we had our fall tour and uh, down at the Jandy factory, and you gave this class down there, and it just blew everybody's mind. So I'm really excited to kind of. Uh, have you walk us through all of this and, and kind of everything. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, introduce yourself and, and let us know kind of your background and history and how come you are an expert in lighting and where you, where you came from. Great. Well, thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. Um, so yeah, I've, my name is Graham Orm. I'm product manager for lighting and water features uh, at Jandy. I've been with Jandy for almost three years now. Uh, prior to joining Jandy, I was not in the pool space at all. So mm -hmm. this has been an interesting education over the last couple of years. It's been fascinating. Uh, it, I've loved to learn about the pool industry. Um, there's very interesting people and very interesting cultures involved with the pool industry. And it's no been doubt. a lot of fun <laughs> to get to learn about. But prior to that, I came from the more the automotive industry. I worked for Cummins. So for any of the diesel fanatics out there. I worked on the uh, diesel engine that goes in the Dodge Ram pickup truck. Cool. Um, but yeah, so it's it's been an interesting transition going from high complex engines uh, down to lighting, um, but doesn't make it any less complex trying to make the perfect pool experience and make sure that the, the, the our end users are perfectly pleased with the way they with their investment into an expensive pool. Yeah, and that's what, um, you know, lighting is really, it's it's kind of got this aura to it, and there's so many pools done badly. Uh, and it's one of the things that I really love about this, uh, what we're going to get into today, and even the book that Jandy puts out, uh, really dispelling some of the myths and kind of putting some actual recommendations to it because I feel like so many people in the industry just kind of wing it or you get an architect and they're just kind of throwing lights I think this should have four or five and and with this system you guys have really kind of dispelled some of the myths and put some formulas and everything to it exactly our goal with this book and with our whole light design strategy is to take the guesswork out of lighting like you said people don't really know exactly where to put the lights and when and when I go across the country at different trade shows training on light design, you wouldn't believe how many times I get people coming up to me saying, how come I never knew this stuff before? How come I've just never taught this? I, I'm just always just throwing lights. Why it looks like it goes great here or there. Um, so that's our, that was our goal. Take the guesswork out of it, make it more formulaic, help with people, make sure that they're doing lighting correctly. Sure. So let's get into kind of some of the general rules of thumb. Um, so you have old school lighting, which is the old incandescent, uh, the big, I call it the front of the, the train um, that, that is, is sort of going away. Uh, we're not going to get too much into that here, right? For this podcast, we're really going to kind of dive a little bit more deeply into LED lighting and specifically not even the full size LEDs, but the little bullet lights. Um, so let's, let's kind of walk us through a little bit of a difference because we're, everybody's used to talking about Watts uh, and now Watts don't really equate within LED lighting, even the full size ones, the wattage is way down. So uh, talk us through a little bit of the theory of with lighting and, and where you guys have landed on some of these. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it used to be the general rule of thumb was a half a watt per square foot was the the rule for lighting a, a pool correctly. 
that was when we had 500 watt incandescent lights, right? And now that we have 65 watt LEDs or down to the small 12 watt, 24 watt LED lights, that pump out just as much light as the old incandescent lights, but with a lot less wattage. So now we think of things more in terms of lumens, at least from a commercial perspective, from large jobs that need compliance and uh, and are concerned with uh, the right amount of light and uh, and inspections from um, and or when we're working with with builders that are concerned with uh, inspectors coming and making sure that they have the the right amount of lighting. But um, can you explain just for people that don't know, uh, can you define terms there? I have to say everybody understands watts, but what is a lumen? I think people have heard that, but they don't really understand what a lumen, uh, it's, it's actually a, a, you know, a measure of how much light is put out. So can you just dive into that a little bit? Correct. So it started back in the day when, even when we had candles, um, you might hear the word uh, candle uh, in, in some of the terminology because it has to do with, uh, um, you know, exactly how much light is coming out of the, out of the light. So you might have a 5,000 watt, 500 watt incandescent light and a 65 watt incandescent or LED light that have the exact almost a similar amount of lumens. Hmm. And it has nothing to do with the amount of wattage, but amount of light that's coming out. And when light emitting diodes, that's what LED stands for, these little diodes that glow, they basically fluoresce almost, and they, they get excited through electricity. And once when they when they glow, you don't need the same amount of energy. You don't need the same amount of oomph from electricity to light a whole incandescent wire. So you get the same amount of light with a few LED diodes, and um, and that's what has changed as far as being able to have LEDs that have that have lower electricity consumption, and People's minds were stuck in this that huge, like you said, the freight train light. And then when we came out with LEDs, they started making LED lights, but in the same view. Same housing. Same housing, right? <laughs> so like, okay, well, we can come out with the same amount of light, but we they were using the same lighting. But then some people started thinking, well, these light, these diodes are tiny, and we can put a bunch of them in a little space. And that's when lighting kind of evolved into what people consider incandescent, uh, sorry, accent lighting or... Uh, nicheless lighting mm. and uh, allows you to actually the, the the lighting industry now has now evolved where uh, oh, let me back up a little bit because pools also back in the day were less complex sure you had more rectangular pools kidney shaped pools and where you place the light was a given you know you were putting in the deep end to point down the length of the pool sure. right then pools got more complex they started getting Baja shelves. They started getting negative edges, grottos, uh, uh, raised edge, raised edge spas, uh, infinity edges, and all sorts of things, right? And so then it became all right. Now we have these all these different lights. We have smaller lights. Now where, where do we put them? So, um, not, so you, you see, lighting has evolved, but also the pools themselves have evolved and took to and the lighting has evolved with those pools to try to highlight the different features that builders, these creative builders, are putting into pools these days. Yeah, and one of the things, uh, again, just defining terms, um, you know, we had the old big lights that everybody's ten-inch round lights with the chrome bezel around it. Um, so nicheless LED lighting that is now uh, small, all plastic housing. Um, they're much much smaller. Uh, in some municipalities where where people are not that familiar with them yet, the question always comes up: How do you bond them? Uh, and that that's a question that I've 
we've worked through here in Southern California because the nicheless lighting is is very common out here. Uh, but for some of the other areas of the country and around the world that are just starting to realize this option, uh, can you talk a little bit about the bonding and what changes in that? Uh huh. So, like on on larger LED lights, we have high voltage and low voltage, right? You have high voltage ones that you have to bond. But when you get down to the small lights, these incandescent, these nicheless lights, or these accent lights, not all of them are nicheless, but you have these smaller lights, they're all low voltage. So no bonding is required. Like you said, all plastic housing. So it eliminates also, it makes the installation a lot easier. When you had the large niched housings, you had to put in a big niche in there and then you had to bend the rebar all the way around the niche, right? Now you have just a piece of PVC. It can, you can put it somewhere in between the rebar. You don't have to build the rebar around the light. And so it makes installation a lot easier, no bonding required. Um, you do need a transformer though, right? Where some people might not be used to having to install a transformer when mm -hmm. they installed high voltage lights. Um, but when you, after you install that transformer, it becomes a lot easier to install the lights as compared to the traditional lighting. Yeah, and some of the manufacturers are really um, creating, they're, they're really trying to ease that whole uh, unit. I know one of the manufacturers has a transformer built into um, uh, to the junction box now. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the industry is continuing to evolve and continuing to make things a whole lot easier. So, um, all right, so let's get back into, so basically here we're talking about the nicheless or the, the, the small LED lights. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of white versus color, because um, I know as I'm looking through the different catalogs for different manufacturers, you've got you've got colored lights, and then you've got RGB lights, uh, and then something called RGBW. So can you kind of uh, explain the difference between the three and what some of the advantages are with each individual one? Right, exactly. Well, when we first moved from incandescent lighting to LED lighting, and they realized that they could make color lights without having to put a permanent plastic lens on top of your light, they went to RGB lights, which is red, green, blue. Okay. Right? That's all that stands for? That's all it stands for is red, okay. green, blue. And you can get a white out of red, green, blue, if believe it or not. You have to blend the red, green, and blue diodes together. At a certain level of mixing, you get white. Hmm. And um, so, but it's a blended white. It's kind of a bluish white. It's not, yeah, it's a, not a real white. true white. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit funny for people that haven't seen it. Right. So if you're looking at it probably without comparing it to a pure white other light, you would, to your naked eye, it would look white, right? But uh, when you compare it to a, a pure white light, it's not the same. It's a, it's a bluer looking light. But that's why we came out with the RGBW light, which now you have red, green, blue, and white diodes. So you have dedicated white diodes. To that, that way you can have a true pure white and the red, green, and blue diodes are now inactive when you're in white mode. Sure. Yeah. So you're actually you're not you're no longer blending it. You're just illuminating the white diodes. Correct. So um, one thing I don't think people are familiar with is is yeah you can buy the RGBW um, or even just a, a an RGB and you can get white from that. But that white is not going to be as bright as say just a dedicated white light. And so you can get dedicated white lights um, within the industry as well. A lot like in California here, um, you know we're using just white lights in commercial pools. So the dedicated pure white light is there, but 
there's a catch there too, mm -hmm. uh, because white is not really white, and that's that can be real confusing. So uh, get into that a little bit. Well, there's a big reason why all companies are offering dedicated white LED lights as opposed to just well, we've got RGB. You can make white with RGB. Well, the problem is, like you said, the white doesn't get as bright. So if you have an RGB light with a blended white, obviously the white's not going to be as bright as a pure white. But even on our, our RGBW light, we have eight different diodes, two dedicated to red, two dedicated to green, two to blue, two to white. Okay. But on our white-only LEDs, we have eight purely dedicated to white. So if you have a dark pool, you know, a black pool, then you and you want to put lights in, we would recommend the white lights because you can get a, pump a lot more light into that pool rather than an RGBW or RGB lights. Sure. And then um, there's even differences within white. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Kelvin, which gets really, really out there. Uh, but as you as clients start to um, deal with architects and, and people like that that understand lighting, uh, and then also landscape lighting throughout the property. There are different whites available, uh, and, and within the industry, somewhere between five and 6,000 seems to be the norm within uh, you know the, the yeah. general white light, and that's Kelvin temperature. Uh, but then you also have manufacturers that have like a, uh, a low 2,000, 2,300, 2,500 Kelvin range. And so the way I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, the the higher number in the five to six thousand range, it's a very blue, it's a very crisp, clean light, as opposed to what we're used to from a, a regular light bulb is much more of a yellow light, correct. which is getting down into the twenty three hundred range. Mm -hmm. And there are different there are different places where those different uh, different colors of white really can stand out. Right. So yeah. When you look at Kelvin, Kelvin is the range basically from blue to red, right? So like you said, blue, the, when you get to 5,000, 6,000 Kelvin, you're into the pure white. If you went up to 7,000, 8,000, 9,000 Kelvin, now you're getting like almost blue, mm. right? If you think of your, your flame and you think it at the very, very base of the flame, it's blue. Right. And then it gets a little whiter, lighter, and then, it, and then it, up top it becomes orange or red, mm -hmm. right? And that's the same thing, but that's what Kelvin measures. So the lower you get on Kelvin, you're getting closer to that yellow, orange, red. And, um, and the yellow or the 2700 Kelvin, which is it more mimics candlelight, something that we've been used to for thousands of years. Humans love that warmth feeling. And it's probably just ingrained in us from... Oh, it's caveman time. You know, we had... <laughs> millennia of fires and campfires, exactly. right? And so we're used to that, and we like that color. And, and also, it brings out colors in foliage better. So architects love to use 2700 Kelvin or warm white lights in their architectural designs and their landscape designs because it brings out the colors of the foliage, the greens, the browns. Whereas a more sanitized, hospital-looking 6,000, 7,000, 5,000 Kelvin white light it doesn't quite bring out those colors as much. It's, it's a little more sanitary looking rather than 
warm looking. Right? Yeah, and where I've seen it, uh, a lot of our clients have lighting designs for the whole backyard. And I always make it a point to make sure that I'm talking with the landscape architect or the lighting designer because if I'm putting a 6,000 Kelvin light in the pool and yet the, the landscape lighting is going 2,700, you're definitely going to notice there's definitely going to be a bit of a disconnect there right. between the, the different lights. So it's, it's something to think about. Um, mm-hmm. You don't always have to it's it's not always something that, that that you have to address, but it's definitely something that should be in the back of your mind as as you're working on on you know larger teams. Exactly, and it depends on what the customer wants. If they want the pool to match their landscape lighting, then they'll, they'll probably have to choose one of our 2700 Kelvin lights. Um, but if they want a more crisp, sanitary looking pool, then that's when the six thousand you know, the five or 5,000 Kelvin lights work perfectly. Yeah, we actually had a job that we competed a number of years ago as an all tile pool. And we did match the lighting to the exterior lighting, mm-hmm. uh, which was 2,700. And the client actually pushed back on it because with a all tile light blue pool, she really felt like it was fighting. So we actually pulled all the lights out and went with more of the crisp blue white because she really wanted the pool to stand out as a very bright, bright blue. And so she wanted the contrast of color there. Yeah, it, it, I, it doesn't surprise me. When you have a blue tile, a yellowish looking light, it's not going to be the right mix. But if you were going with a, a gray, um, what, what's popular in the Northeast is uh, a gray, slate gray, um, maybe even up to black. And that's when the warm white works really well with those hues. If you go to more blues or, then yeah, then it kind of, it doesn't, it, it's not the exact effect that you're looking for. Sure. All right. So let's, let's start talking general rules uh, because there are some general rules of thumb that, that you guys as a manufacturer recommend. Um, and so for me, kind of the rule of thumb that I've come to is, Everything starts with your finish. You need to know what your finish plaster is going to be. Is it going to be dark? Is it going to be light? Is it going to be medium? So you really need to understand that at the very beginning, even before you're starting to lay out everything, um, just to understand. So the rule of thumb that I've always worked with, and you can correct me, um, is I work with a a, a seven, well, five to 10 feet of spacing for these new style bullet lights. And and I, I tend to fall more about in the seven foot range as as kind of a general rule of thumb like for if i can stretch it out to 10 foot spacing that may be a very narrow pool with white finishes mm-hmm. uh, and then if i'm going you know if the pool is much wider and i'm having to illuminate across a pool and i'm going to a darker dark gray black in that i'm really pulling it back down to more the five foot spacing of everything so what's so what's your recommendation on that yeah, I mean, it's really important that you factor in the, the the finish, and I'm really glad you brought that up because most people don't even think about that. They it's the afterthought, and they they decide up front what kind of lights they're going to use. Are they going to use color? Are they going to use white? Way before they even decide what the finish is going to be, and the the effect of that light really greatly depends on what the finish is. So obviously, when you have a wider or lighter finish, it reflects more, so the light will extend further. If you have colored lights, the, the lights, the colors will show up a lot more. But if you have a darker pool, those colors will be absorbed into the finish of the pool. So your magenta won't look that impressive 
right? Your green will very be very muted, right? And then also it won't extend as far, so your pool will look pretty dark. Whereas, so for dark pools, we recommend white lights. White only. Right, we recommend white only lights. Just because the colors are not going to show up that well. It's not going to satisfy their picture that they have in their mind of how the colors should show up. And we find customers are usually a lot more pleased with the white in a darker pool. We still have customers that do put in colors, and uh, but uh, that's not our recommendation. And then whether when and then colors work great though in the lighter finishes. So that the colors really stand out. They reflect a lot more. Um, but yeah, it's really key because depending on how long you uh, how wide of a distance you need to cover, you know if that color is if that finishes light, that light's going to extend much further. It's going to be much easier to cross across the side of the pool. Like you said, you can use less lights perhaps. And so that all goes into play. If you don't know the finish of your pool before you've started plumbing, you might be hosed at the end because uh, you, might, you might have a customer really upset with the pool lighting. It might not be up to the standard that they expected. So yeah, you have to, fa you have to factor in the that finish. Uh, the general rule of thumb that we use is about as a placing a light about every eight feet. That's with a straight wall, mm. right? If you're dealing with a curved wall, like a kidney-shaped pool, we factor in a, uh, that you would factor a beam spread of about 60 degrees. Okay. Now, most lights have a beam spread much larger than that, a, a total beam spread of closer maybe to 180 degrees. Mm -hmm. But the main focus of that light is going to be about 60 degrees. Okay. So if you imagine a curved wall that you're trying to cover and, and have it evenly lit across the back wall. If you look at 60 degrees here, 60 degrees there, 60 degrees there, it might not be every eight feet. It might be every four feet, depending on how tight that curve is, right? If it's a smaller radius curve, then you're looking at maybe more lights over a, a shorter distance. But uh, um, that will ensure that the back wall of the pool is lit evenly. If you factor 60 degrees on a curved pool or freeform pools that have lots of twists and curves, but on a straight wall, about every eight feet, um, but you're thinking of every five to 10 feet is right in line because it depends on your scenario. If it's a lap lane you're covering, then you might, uh, you could, and then depending on the finish, you could get away with, you might need some within shorter distances or longer distances. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit. We haven't, uh, we haven't talked really about where you place the lights themselves. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Really, now that we've gotten away from the big, uh, freight train lights, as, we, as you call them, um, we do multiple fixtures um, within uh, a swimming pool. And so um, you always want to be putting those out of the most common viewpoint of the client. Uh, so if you've got a wall that lines up to the house, um, you want to be placing all of those lights facing away from the house so that you're just seeing the wash of the water and not the hot spots. That gets a little tricky when, when we're starting to angle pools and that, mm -hmm. but um, that's that's kind of the rule of thumb that, that we work with. That's the cardinal rule. More than anything else, Point always point the lights away from the house. You wouldn't believe how many high-end jobs I've come across where the light is pointing straight back at the patio, mm -hmm. straight back into the living room of your customers. So they look out at the pool and they have to stare into this glare. Right, but exactly. The goal is to hide the source of the light. So if you're looking out at the pool from the patio from the house, you want the pool to appear just to glow, right? And when you can hide the source of the light effectively, it can have that effect where the pool is just glowing. You don't see the source of the light. Now, if you have a pool that's maybe uh, parallel to the house, that works perfectly. Right. But if it's perpendicular, it might have a little more difficulty. So at least have the lights pointing perpendicular to the house 
but never ever back at the house. Now, if you have a large pool that's maybe 40 feet across or with an island in between, your concern of a, li of a light glare pointing back into the house is less at that point, or especially if the pool is farther away from the house. But in these 90% of scenarios where you have a small backyard and the pool is 20 feet or five, 10 feet from the house, always point the lights away from the home. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the the overarching rule of thumb. I mean, that might even supersede the, the, the you need to know the color. Uh, uh -huh. the, that with your lighting design, you really want to maximize the lighting out of the viewpoint from the house. Because most people, most people don't use their pool every day. You know, they utilize it they they look at it a whole lot more than they're swimming in it and so the visual from the house really becomes the the driver for everything um, i know we do uh, some long narrow lots uh, and so the pool is actually running kind of perpendicular to the house and one of the things that i like to do in that scenario is we'll put a little bit extra lighting all up the side walls mm -hmm. but then we will stagger them uh, and we will put them you know if i have three on this side and three on this side i'll put them on two different switch legs so that i have you know light one and three and then the center light on this side so i'm actually getting a good cross of light to to give it let me i, I hit that so you're getting a good cross of light, so you're getting good even lighting. Um, but then when they're having a party and they really want to amp it up, they can turn both switches on and have a real flush of, of lighting right. throughout there. And when you're deciding which side of the pool to place it on, you got to think about, you know, if you do have a perpendicular pool for the house, if they have a, a big grass area on one side and a fence on the other side, then it becomes obvious. Point the light away from the grass, away from the, where the party might be or where... They might be spending their time. So, yeah, it, it, you always want to point the lights away from where the action is going to be, where people are, the viewpoints of the, of the end user, the guests, is going to be towards the, the pool. Sure. Okay, let's get into, um, are there any other general rules of thumb that you really kind of, uh, that, that you recommend as far as lighting layout? I think one thing to think of that a lot of people don't think about is when you have a larger pool, that maybe it's a freeform pool, but you've got at least two points that are 40 feet or so away from each other. Now that becomes a pool that could be used as a lap lane, right? And you mm. might not have a customer that even mentions the word lap lane or that they want to swim laps, but you never know how their guest is going to use the pool. You never know how the next homeowner is going to use the pool. So if you have a really large pool, maybe it's free form, maybe it's geometric, but if you have two points that are 40 feet from each other or so or more, be sure not to point lights pointing down that potential swim lane mm. right and and i get a lot of people who build a nice expensive pool and they don't take that into account because maybe they, they would never have thought of it for themselves but their their kids love it would love to swim in it right or or what have you so keep those think beyond more than what the customer is saying and think about how what potential ways their guests could use the pool, the next homeowner, et cetera. Yeah, the last thing you want to be doing is swimming laps and at night with your goggles on and looking straight into a light fixture. Yeah, and yeah. banging to that wall. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so we've started talking a little bit about uh, shapes and rectangles, um, freeform. Uh, what about spas? You know, it's a very small body of water. It's a very, um, you know, what's your what's your thoughts on, on how we tackle a spa? Do we put multiple smaller wattage, slower lumen lights in there. <laughs> um, what's, your, what's your take on that? 
Yeah, so um, that's a good question. We typically would recommend a lower wattage or lower lumen count light in a, in a spa. Usually depends on, you know, I guess the, the answer is it always depends, right, on right. how large that pool is, uh, how large that spa is. But on a, on a typical normal spa that fits five, six people, one six to ten watt light that of, a, that of LED light is going to be sufficient. You place it below beneath the bench so that people aren't resting their back up against a hot light or mm-hmm. blocking the light from the rest of the customer or the rest of the guests. Um, but then uh, if you get to a spa that's larger, up to 10 or 12 people could fit into the spa, then you might start thinking about either upping that wattage or adding an additional light. Yeah, my preference is to add an additional light. Uh, that's, I feel like you get a better wash. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like you really, you almost can't overdo lighting. You, you, you can to an extent, uh, but my, my feeling on that is I'd rather go with the less lumen fixture uh, and add multiple uh, because it allows you to wash a little bit better th- rather than one hot spot. You bring up a really good point, and this is something I always tell everyone I teach my class to, is that you need to propose the ideal lighting plan to your customer so that you are presenting the ideal perfectly lit pool to your customer. Now, there might be two, three, or four more lights than they're expecting or wanting to pay for. And that, that, then it becomes a budget decision. But let that be their decision, right. not your decision, worried about getting the bid because you want to take out compromise the lighting. But if, they're, if, they're gonna, if compromises will be made, let that be the customer's compromise, not yours. And that way they can't ever go back to you and say, hey, this pool's not lit the way I want it to be lit. Well, it's like, well, remember, we had that discussion and you decided to save $5,000 right? Or a thousand dollars. So always go in there with the exact, with the, with the ideal lighting scenario. And like you said, uh, the best, most ideal lighting is lower wattage, more lights that distributes the light better. It creates a more even glow throughout the whole pool. If you're trying to do compromise down to save money to one or two lights where four or five was needed, you might safely light the pool, but you have a couple areas that are well lit while the rest of it doesn't look the same. Yeah. Um, one of the things I want to touch on as well is, especially in a spa environment, um, the, the, the lenses on all of these fixtures are, are domed. And so you do get lighting kind of coming out the top. Right. So yeah, you had mentioned earlier the 60 degrees, that, that's kind of your design. But the reality is, is that there is light really coming out. No, the true the view full, spread is 180. Is 180, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and in a spa situation, that can be real challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 years ago, when these fixtures were brand new, we would come into spas and we would actually take the fixture itself out and and I would do black spray paint on the top half of the fixture so that when the client was sitting in there, they the the light was not shining right straight up in their eyes. There's great options now. Uh, a number of the manufacturers have these lenses and everything, but you shared with me a little bit earlier, there's also some other um, uh, benefits to utilizing that that I wasn't even aware of. Yeah, we find... We have found that the uses and needs for these lens covers are so great that we've actually now included them. We used to have them as accessories you could order later. Now we include them with every light because it's so essential. And to have the perfect lighting experience in a spa, you don't want to be staring at a light, right? Have a glare in your, right in your eyes. So yeah, you put a little lens cover over it to cover the quarter moon or half moon, whatever it's needed to get that glare out of your eyes. But then in the main body of the pool, especially on lighter pools, 
you have this halo effect. And once you've noticed it in your pool, you'll never be able to not see it again. Mm -hmm. It's this half circle. And then what, what that is, is it's a result of light reflecting off the surface of the water back down okay. and creating a halo around where this light, this glare is happening. But once you put a little quarter moon or half moon uh, lens cover, that light now can no, can no longer reflect off the surface of the water. Now it just goes through the water and you have a perfectly lit, bl perfect blending of the, of the light across the bottom of the pool. No rings, no halos, uh, no shadows. And, uh, and, and it really makes the lighting effect top notch. Let's get into a little bit about um, how do you light different features, sheer descents, grottos, um, vanishing edge walls, uh, different water feature elements throughout a yard, wet walls, things like that. We're starting to see, you know, those kind of elements come in more and more uh, to, you know, regular residential projects and not even talking about things always connected to a pool. You know, you may have a wet wall that's that's uh, by the front entrance or something like that. It's right. a fairly simple feature. Uh, so there's when you're when you're lighting a moving water feature it's very very different than what we're talking about in through here exactly well let's start with sheer descents or waterfalls for example um we've all seen those waterfalls that attempt to light the water from the source of the water sure right and the effect is is that you get an inch or two of water that gets lit up maybe some of the sides gets lit up but that besides that the water, the light does not follow the water. Light goes linearly, goes straight. Mm -hmm. Water bends. Light doesn't bend with the water. So the, the absolute best way to light water is from underneath. So when I'm, when I'm talking to clients about how to light a waterfall, I always recommend putting a bench or at the very least a bump out. So you can have a little bump out in the wall. So if you have a straight wall with a sheer descent going, flowing into it, if you build a little bump out and you angle that light up and just into the splash zone, what it does is it, it excites the, the bubbles, the air bubbles, and it, and it will light up the rest of that waterfall. Where light in waterfalls is, is, uh, makes its best impact is where there's agitation in the water because it's the bubbles that are getting lit up. Those little air bubbles capture light and hold on to light. So if you're lighting that splash zone from underneath, and then lighting up that flow of the water, you'll have a much more brilliantly lit or effective of, of a lit waterfall than just trying to light the two inches before it bends down. And so well, whenever you're trying to light a waterfall, always from underneath. If you're trying to light a grotto, again, putting lights in a bench is a really beautiful way to have the light reflecting off the surface of the, off, off the, the ceiling of that grotto, having that shimmering effect. It really adds to the mood of... of lighting that you, you know, you, there's a lot, lots of people that would just put a light beneath the bench. So you have the water in the grotto lit, but if you could light up that ceiling, that would be a whole different effect and, and feeling within that grotto. I really like that idea about the grottos. I'd never thought of that. Uh, the only thing I would think is you might want to recess that down. So question on that is, um, do you, do you recommend it in the bench? Uh, oftentimes the grotto is, is like uh, if it's a spa or something like that. Is there a maximum depth or can you kind of go, you know, if it's sitting four feet down on the floor and shooting up, does that work any different, any better, anything that we need to think about in those? The problem with lighting, trying to get water out of lighting, I'm sorry, lighting out of water, is that lighting, light likes to reflect off the surface of the water back down. 
So if you want to be able to get light out of water, you have to have a little more extra wattage or power, a little oomph to get that light out of that water and up onto whatever you want to light. That would go the same for a negative edge trough or a wet wall. So um, yeah, if it's in the floor or in the, in the bench, the closer to the surface of the water would be best. Okay. So a bench would be more ideal. Um, you could put it in the bottom of the, of the, of just at the bottom of the pool underneath the, in the grotto, but it would have a harder time reaching that ceiling. So if you're going to do that, you need to look at potentially more fixtures or uh, a fixture with higher lumen output. Right. Uh -huh. um, one of the things that I want to come back to, I built a pool at my mom's house and we do have the sheer descent uh, spilling onto a bench. And during the day, that's where the kids live. So, you know, adding that detail, um, it, it's not just for lighting. Uh, right. It's it, there's, there's benefits during the day as well because the kids love just sitting and tucking behind the... the, the who doesn't want to have water going right over their face? And that's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Plus, then it gives you that opportunity to uplight it and really get the impact that you're looking at. Right. So you touched on vanishing edges. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about uplighting a vanishing edge wall, what we can expect, what we can't expect, because uh, exactly. that, that becomes a lot more challenging. So yeah, when we're lighting a vanishing edge, the general rule of thumb of lights per feet changes a little bit. Since you're trying to light a wall, you need a little more lights. You need some more lights in that space, same space. So we would recommend a light every six feet rather than every eight feet, for example, pointing vertically. Excuse me. Um, but like as we touched on, you would think since, well, since the negative edge trough, the basin is only two or three feet deep of water, then I could use the lowest wattage light because that's not much water. But like I said before, it's hard to get light out of water. So you need more wattage. So you would want to go with a medium to higher wattage, depending on how high that negative edge wall is. If you have a, a three, four foot negative edge wall you want to light, a medium, a medium wattage light would do just fine. But if you have a five, 10 foot negative edge wall you want to let light up, then you want to go with more wattage, more oomph to get light up there. And, uh, and if you can, the furthest away you can get from the wall as possible if it's a high wall, right? When you have a light close to the wall, it's gonna, li it's gonna light up, you know, maybe three quarters of the way up. But if you can have the light further away, you have more beam spread lighting up that wall and you can get more up there. So, um, and uh, when you're also thinking about lighting a vertical wall, this, not only does it, this, phenomena take place with negative edge walls, but also with wet walls, for example. Mm. The closer you get the light to the wall, the more the imperfections will stand out. The more, so if you have a brick wet wall or a rock wet wall, you might enjoy having uh, you know, contrasted shadows and, and you might, that might be fine, but if it's, a, if it's a plaster wall or if it's something that's supposed to look completely smooth, the closer you get that light to that wall, the more those imperfections will show up that they would never even notice during the daytime. So you want to pull that light as far away from that wall as possible so that those imperfections don't show up as well as much. And that, 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 that same kind of uh, thinking takes place in a pool itself. When you have a plaster pool and they, you know, you know, everyone who's built a pool knows that when you are spreading that plaster with a trowel, it's never going to be a hundred percent flat, right? And you'll have hand applied. <laughs> it's hand applied. It's hand done. That's the handcrafted pool, right? Right. And uh, the closer that light is down to the the bottom of the pool, the more that those imperfections, the handcraftness, will show. 
So we recommend lights be placed 9 to 12 inches beneath the surface of the water in the main body of the pool. It keeps the light up. You can light up the whole pool. The imperfections don't show as much. But this really kind of takes place, uh, th this gets, becomes an issue in a, in a spaha shelf that yes. is really shallow. You're forced, you know, you have spaha shelves that are 8 inches deep, 10 inches deep. So you're forced to put that light pretty close to the bottom of that surface. So when you're doing a Baja shelf, you better make sure that that is as clean as possible. Hopefully your Baja shelf isn't too big. So you can focus on making sure that Baja shelf is nice and pristine because those imperfections won't, can't help but be manifested at nighttime with those lights. Yeah, everybody's seen it. You turn the lights on and the customer calls you that first night after, the, after your startup is done and the water clears up and the customer calls and said, hey, there's shadows all over. It's, yeah, that's, that's sort of just customary yeah. to what, you know, it, it's, it's hand applied. That's why you build up those expectations for the customer in advance so they're not surprised by that at the, when, they, when they turn on the lights on at, at night, right? Is there a general rule of thumb um, you know, because now we're no longer bound by the high voltage depths that we had uh, that everybody's used to, you know, 18, 24 inches below um, with the high voltage light. Now the NEC allows us to run these nicheless LEDs at four inches uh, of water depth. Right. So is there a general rule of thumb as we're placing this within the body of the pool? Obviously, a Baja shelf is its own unique animal. But what about for throughout the main body of the pool? Yeah, we would recommend 9 to 12 inches beneath the surface of the water in the main body of the pool. Like you said, you can go up as close as 4, but um, in areas where you have uh, winter time and there's the snow belt, right, um, and you're worrying about not having to drain the pool, or uh, we recommend lights be placed 9 to 12 inches beneath the surface of the water so that you don't have to worry about those sorts of scenarios of, of ice being in contact with those lights. So for me here in Southern California, we deal, don't deal with that. Right. Is, there, um, is there a benefit to going shallower? Or I would think shallower would be more difficult because you're more likely to raise it into the view plane of the client that's not necessarily using the pool. Uh, but um, the, the deeper you go, uh, I feel like it, it, you don't get the impact of the lighting. So... Um, the higher you go, the more the more distance that those lights will cover, right? If you have a deeper pool, you might want to put the lights a little bit lower um, just because now you have greater distance between the light and the bottom of and the, the pool, floor. right? So you want to get a little closer to that to make sure that that, pool, that bottom of the, the pool is well lit. But yeah, if you're at 9 to 12 inches beneath the surface of the water, that's kind of, it's the sweet spot of not being too high, and not being too low as well. You're having a, a, it's well lit and it's not too low to highlight the imperfections. It's not too high to maybe glare into the, some people's eyes as they're swimming around. Sure. I want to go back to Vanishing Edges a little bit. Um, what is your thoughts on sticking them in the floor and uplighting the Vanishing Edge wall as opposed to sticking it on the other side in the uh, in the vertical wall uh, and and washing the base and, and allowing that to uh, to to kind of uh, kind of tangentially light the wall as well because there's very different lighting effects depending on if you're putting it in the floor or the wall. It depends on what the customer's goals are, right? If they would like a, a subtle glow up that up that wall, then lighting in the ends would be would be great. It also depends on how long of a negative edge wall you have. If you have a 40-foot negative edge wall, two lights on the end, you'll have that glow last for maybe 15 feet on each side, but the middle will be dark, 
right? So if you want, if you have a really long wall, then you better, it might, you might be best served to place lights vertically along the whole width or length of that wall. But if you have a 10, 15 foot negative edge and you just want a little glow to be a little more subtle, more mood lighting perhaps, if you will, then yeah, that's a re really good option. Yeah, and what I have found is the taller the wall, the less you can get away with that too. You know, mm -hmm. you're not going to get a lot of right. refraction of the light out of there. So really, if you're trying to light it from the ends as opposed to the floor, it's only going to go up several feet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if you've got a if you've got a wall that's more than maybe 30 inches, you're probably right. better putting them in the floor. Correct. Um, I'm going to throw a real curveball at you uh, because what we're starting to see, we just did a podcast a couple weeks ago on acrylic walls uh, and starting to get acrylic panels in walls where you're actually looking through the wall of the pool. That really complicates things because not only does the acrylic panel give you another area where you're having to think about looking at a fixture on a hot spot, but it also acts almost as a magnifying glass. So that really... Uh, I haven't quite figured that one out yet. We really have to be thinking out of the box. And, you know, if the acrylic panel is facing the backyard, how is the client in the backyard going to be looking back at the pool? And can we even pull the fixtures out a little bit more? So what's your, uh, have you dove into that too much? Because it's really, it seems to be kind of the next iteration of where pool design, especially in the high end, is going. Exactly. Well, Ideally, you would hope that that acrylic wall is on the narrow, uh, smaller side of the pool, on the width, perhaps not the length. That way you could light up, put lights in the, the long side of the pool, pointing perpendicular to that acrylic wall, and you won't have to deal with it. But not every scenario is going to be like that. Um, it does pose quite a bit of a challenge. You're going to have to play. It, it would depend greatly on the design of each pool, since each pool will be different. The, the location of the pool in relation to the house will be different in each scenario. And which is one of the reasons why we offer a light design service at our company. I'm not sure if I can mention that here. Sure. But uh, we, if you email a plan, a light design or a, a pool plan to lighting.design at zodiac.com, within 24 to 48 hours, we'll return back a recommendation of where the lights we think they should go um, using our best practices. Because it greatly depends on so many different scenarios, the pool finish, the location, in reference to the house, how wide it is, what the different features are. And when you're adding an acrylic to this, this makes, it makes it even more complex, as you're saying. And so it, because um, you, if you have a, an acrylic wall from the vantage point of where you want to place the light, that becomes difficult because you can't place the light in the acrylic itself. Right. Right. And then you don't want the light pointing at the acrylic either, like you said, it acts like a magnifying glass. It only will amplify that glare into those eyes. So uh, you're gonna have to get a lot more creative and uh, you might have to start playing with some other forms of lighting uh, techniques rather than just your standard typical way you've always done things. Yeah, and, and the way I've tackled it in the past is, is oftentimes the the vessel is elevated because you need to be looking right. through the mm -hmm. acrylic. And so I treat it a little bit like a vanishing edge. Uh, and and I do sightline evaluations. And so you, you place even just a simple stick figure and you draw a section and then you start looking at, okay, if this is the main view plane that the client's going to be looking right. 
back through the acrylic panel, can I play with moving my fixture down a little bit deeper, maybe adding a couple more fixtures so that it gets it out of the view plane there. So there's there's some some tricks you can do, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely all has to come back and hinge on, you need to think about the client experience. Exactly. Keeping the customer in mind of where they're going to be viewing the pool the most, where they will most likely be enjoying the view of the pool is the one of the most key things you can think of when trying to light the pool. Let's get into a little bit like really complex shapes. Um, starting to see a lot of lazy rivers these days with islands in the middle. We're starting to see, um, you know, floating steps, uh, a lot of really unique things that are kind of becoming the norm in and even pretty typical residential construction, those create some different challenges. Uh, so talk a little bit about those. Yeah, there's some really creative designs coming out these days, and which makes lighting really fun. Mm-hmm. It, you can do a lot of different things and uh, you can highlight these features in lots of different ways. One of my favorite features that are come out with pools these days are those pedestals, those stepping stones. And if you can light it correctly from in between those stepping stones, pointing down to each of those little gaps, at nighttime, those stepping stones, you have a contrast with like a negative space. And at nighttime, those steps can look like they're just floating. Yeah. And it's really impressive look if you can light them correctly. So I always, whenever I see a plant by my desk that has stepping stones, I always try to put lights in between them so that you can, can light, uh, have that effect. And when you're dealing with lazy rivers, the main key with lazy rivers is you want it well lit on the far side because usually a lazy river is going to be a larger pool. It's going to be a massive pool typically. And you want safety is kind of key in those scenarios. So at nighttime, if someone's swimming on the far side of that lazy river, you want to be sure that you can see well. So it becomes really key that make sure that, you know, that, that it's well lit on the far side. So, um, and then also, since it's a larger pool, you don't have to be as concerned with lights going back at the house because it's a further distance. Usually if there's a lazy river, there might be an island in between uh, the light and the house. So feel free to point the lights back at the house to light it correctly, have even lighting. We would recommend lights about every eight to 10 feet uh, in a lazy river, but you can go away with smaller smaller wattage because the wall, the, the distance you need to cover is less. Exactly, yeah, because you're getting that light bouncing <laughs> off the other <laughs> side. You know, key. usually if you have a, a an island in the middle, you're only four to six feet wide. So you're not, the light is not having to right. fill as much space. So uh-huh. yeah, that's where the where we can kind of stay. Um, looking forward, you're the lighting expert. What is the next generation? Where do you see lighting moving as we, uh, you know, as we move into 2020, 2025? Where, where do you want to see it go? And where is it, uh, where you as a manufacturer, where are you moving and, and what can you talk about or not talk about? <laughs> well, as an industry, we've, pool lighting has been far behind the rest of lighting, indoor interior lighting, home lighting. You know, uh, you see, the uh, should I have a mind blank right now? Um, I'll start over so I can. Uh, the uh, what's the the light that changes colors works with? I'm having a mind blank. Philips Hue. Thank you. Uh huh. Okay, so um, the pool industry has been 
light years behind the rest of the lighting industry for a long time. To say the least. Right? We've been the dinosaurs with lighting and while other people have moved on, Philips Hue has come up with that light bulb that works with an app, right? And mm -hmm. you can change the color at will uh, through Alexa, right? And so um, I would see pool lighting following the same kind of trend. We don't, that's all we do. We do great at following in lighting and, other, and uh, the other rest of lighting pioneering. Um, so I would see that coming. I would see color, uh, direct color select or custom color selection coming. Um, if you want your lighting to match your uh, accent pillows that are on your, uh, your deck patio, you can put your phone up against that and, uh, and get lights that to, to your pool lighting to reflect the accent light that you have highlighted with those pillows, for example. So there's lighting is going to get uh, even more fun down the road. Um, we're looking at ways all the time of trying to, how to innovate, how to bring what people's expectations are of lighting into the pool, right? I would also expect lighting to continue to get reduced. I would expect to see lighting continue to try to hide that source of the light, to get, to get that pool to continue to just glow rather than have these bright glaring lights all the time. And uh, whether that be with LED strip lighting or that could be, uh, there's even technologies with laser lighting down the road. Hmm. Um, so you don't have to worry about LED so much as you can have fiber lighting the pool, not the old school way, right? but a new advanced way of, 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 of laser lighting with fiber rather than just LEDs that you can, because um, one of the main problems with having a put, you know, with a pool light is that usually the cord is super long. So if you haven't replaced the light, it's a bear to try to move that, pull that light through the, all that conduit and looking for ways to simplify and improve the service experience. The lighting experience is, is the direction we're trying to head in. Yeah. Yeah. And I see a number of companies are starting to play around with uh, LED strip lights. Um, to me, it's still a maturing uh, uh -huh. it's not quite there yet right. uh, i would love to see that really grow so as a as a builder to have good options in led strip lighting i think that there's a lot of really unique and creative interesting ways that that fiber kind of played with a little bit right. and and we've played with that the problem with fiber optic is very beautiful but there's no drive to that light and so it's more just a glow it has so you limitations can't, yeah yeah uh, it was beyond its time it was before its time really <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the um, the twenty thousand dollar question, um, which every manufacturer has really different opinions on this, um, dimmability is that a factor? Is it available? Is that because that's you know everybody is kind of as lighting is progressing in residential design, interior homes and everything, dimmability is a very big thing. Uh, but within the pool industry, there's very different opinions on that. And, and um, I believe there are some fixtures that are dimmable. Colored lights are definitely not dimmable. Where do you see that part of the market going? Yeah, dim dimming lights has become a bit of a hot topic over the last probably decade. Um, people were used to be able to, with an incandescent light, be able to just take a off-the-shelf dimming switch and just play with it. And, and but now that LEDs work differently than incandescent, and you can't just dim a dim an LED down just by reducing the amount of power that it, that it gets. You might actually just turn it off all the way, right? Rather than it dimming down. So yes, our and most white lights that you would see out in the market are dimmable. Um, you don't see too many RGBWs, RGB color lights dimming. Um, 
And that is going to also be part of the wave of the future. As things become more smart, as IoT takes more of a foothold in every product that we launch, um, you will have the, the flexibility and the control to dim not only white lights, but colored lights down the road and be able to set the mood exactly how you want it to be and set it differently. If you want the light mood lighting in the spa to be different than the pool, you, you would have that flexibility down the road. Yeah. And that's, that's, I'm, I really look forward to that as well, because then you can, you have to be less concerned with being spot on with your initial design. We can put more fixtures in there. And if it's a little bit too bright, we just pull the dimmability right. down. It's sort of like variable speed pumps. Uh -huh. You know, we can put a little bit bigger pump than we need on there. And then we kind of dial it back to get it exactly where we need it to. Uh, so I, I look forward to that time with lights. Yeah, we should be moving beyond the stage where it's always we force one size fits all for everybody. Or like if you have... You made this one decision when you're initially designing your pool. Now you have to live with it every night you use the pool, right? You might have a, a more romantic night where you don't want that much light. And so we should be able, and we're moving towards that where you can have the flexibility to customize your lighting depending on your need at that time. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. This has been super enlightening. Like I said, I, this was, uh, I, I loved this class when you gave it. And, and this is just, there's so many things to understand and to think about. And, and that's kind of my hope here is that we've given everybody kind of a bunch of different ideas and different things that they need to be thinking about that they maybe hadn't been thinking about. And, and thank you for so much for just kind of laying it out in a real clear and concise manner. Well, Dave, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you.